This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Now, Fight Back with Libby Snymer on Zoomer Radio with guest host Jane Brown. Libby is off for the rest of the week. Great to be here with you again. Well, tell me you didn't feel for the restaurant owners in Peel and Toronto who scrambled to open their patios a couple of weeks ago, only to have to close them down less than two weeks later. Think of the money they spent on inventory, staffing costs, patio setup and takedown. Should they be compensated by the government? 416-360-0740 or toll-free 1-866-740-4740. Representatives with Restaurants Canada and the Ontario Restaurant, Hotel and Motel Association say, yes, they should be compensated. In fact, they've sent an open letter to Premier Doug Ford to make further funding available through the Ontario Small Business Support Program. Joining us to discuss, James Rylett, Vice President of the Central Canada Division of Restaurants Canada, and Tony Alenis, President and CEO of the Ontario Restaurant Hotel and Motel Association. Welcome to you both. Thanks for having me. Good afternoon. James, tell us about what you told the Premier in this letter. Well, we basically uh, said that restaurants had a, it would cost them money to close, uh, and uh, we put a value on that. With talking to members, uh, we figured it cost about $10,000 per restaurant. So uh, with 15,000 dine-in restaurants uh, that had to close, uh, that's well over $100 million. And so what we said to the Premier is, we have to, this has to be recognized that this is a significant cost to our industry, and you have many uh, ways to get money to, into the industry, and uh, we want to talk about that and get uh, that conversation started. Has there been a response? I mean, an official response from the Premier? I haven't heard anything officially. Uh, but uh, hopefully soon. Tony, what has been made available for restaurant owners to date through the pandemic in terms of financial compensation? Well, the financial um, offers to the industry have been through small business grants, which does not apply to all. And it it comes to a maximum of uh, $40,000 from business grants. But the restaurants that are at a, at a near collapse due to the length of the restrictions. Yeah. Lockdowns and opening and closing are very costly, and the sector needs to be compensated much more than the current offerings. Would it be fair, Tony, to say that the independent restaurants are um, in more of a dire strait situation than the chain restaurants? The independents, due to their cash flow, have been hit first. But now, the pandemic is such a, a mammoth of, a, of an obstacle to climb that even larger food service chains are seeing cash flow issues. So it's for everyone in the industry. And again, it, it's an industry that's been uh, closed first way back a year ago. We're not any better than we were a year ago. We're much worse now. And it's affecting every single operation that deals with food and beverage. You know, we'd love to hear from you if you are a restaurant owner and you did uh, make your patio available to customers during that very brief window of time. I think it was just 10 or 11 days uh, toward the end of March. 416-360-0740, toll-free 1-866-740-4740. Here's an example. Uh, Tony and James, you're probably aware of the invoice that Michael Hunter mailed to Premier Ford. He is the co-owner of Antler Kitchen and Bar, and he put the Premier's tab at $431.55. The 
total cost of the two kegs of beer he purchased after Toronto restaurants were told just two weeks earlier they could reopen their patios. And with patios closed yet again, Michael Hunter has no remaining use for all of that booze. Um, I don't know if he's heard from the premier. James, um, that particular instance, it sounds like Michael Hunter is being reasonable. If you're saying ten thousand dollars per resident or per restaurant, he's he's asking for four hundred thirty-one dollars. Yeah, well, I talked to Michael last night, and uh, you know, he he indicated uh, that was just to prove a point. Um, his costs were actually in the fifteen thousand dollar range, um, but he was he was just making a point that mm. this single cost. Um, for the use for this beer, and why 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 it was the beer is because once you tap a keg, you can't take it back, and it, it will go bad before you can reopen. So that was his point there, and uh, you know it was it was a point well made. Uh, I think the premier and all the politicians and everyone out there really needs to realize these are actual costs. This is actual wastage that happens when when you have to close it so quickly. So that was I, I think he, he, it was a very good point, and he made it well. Well, we're talking about it, so obviously he did. Uh, Tony, how realistic, or did it make any sense at all? We're talking about two weeks ago, the patios opening, and everybody, including the medical officers of health for both Peel, Dr. Lowe, who we will be talking to later in the hour, and I will ask him this as well, and uh, Dr. Davila, they said, you know, people need to be outside. When they're outside on a patio, the virus isn't spreading. Uh, you know, the mental health issues around being locked up inside. And it was literally a matter of days before we went into a province-wide lockdown. So you wonder, was this really well thought out to begin with, Tony? Well, all along, you know, the health folks have been talking about being outdoors. And and about a week or two ago, the GTA area, Peel and Toronto, I have restaurants closed since October, six months closed, finally opened up. They were given the green light. I've talked to many over the weekend. They went out and bought patio equipment. They went out and spent dollars buying heaters and and material to winterize the patios. And and guess what? Now we were told to close within a, a... a, a weekend approaching that is normally very busy for, for everyone. We're not in this together. Our governments must understand that hospitality operations were hit with the impact first and will have a very tough journey ahead. Uh, simple as that. And, and our call is to support the province, support the government, to hear the business side at the grassroots level and balance the decisions that are made. We believe in opening and operating safe for employees and our customers. That is the DNA of hospitality. Safety comes first. But we see so many other businesses open, and even the Toronto Public Health statistics that were released a couple of days ago showed 68% of outbreaks originating in offices, warehouses, construction sites, anywhere where workers work alongside each other. Yet, the first thing the governments do is look and attack restaurants. That is not acceptable. James, what are your thoughts about that? It does seem that like restaurants and up until recently, non-essential retailers, mom and pops uh, type stores on main streets in the province are, are being targeted unfairly. Yeah, I, I agree with everything that Tony said. He said it very well. It, it's uh, it's frustrating. Um, there was a time that the science people thought the theory was that uh, if you had a an activity that you had to do without a mask on for any period of time, that it was more dangerous. But, it, you know, we have to change our thinking. We have to realize that's not always the case. Um, restaurant workers and, and patrons are, are following the rules. They're they can do this safely, and they've shown that. And uh, the fact that the, that the thinking hasn't changed uh, just shows how we're, we're stuck in, in neutral here on, on this pandemic. Uh, you know, it, it is frustrating when you see we're the first ones to close, but uh, we're, it doesn't affect the numbers. So we were obviously not the problem all along. 
I'm speaking with James Rylett, Vice President of the Central Canada Division of Restaurants Canada, and Tony Alenis, President and CEO of the Ontario Restaurant Hotel and Motel Association, about the devastating situation that many restaurant owners are in, not just as a result of having to reopen or choosing to reopen their patios when they could there for that very short window of time, but just the way the pandemic has played out. Uh, restaurants have basically been more or less shut down in some form or another. Uh, coming up on, th- I guess, about 13 months. I, uh, that would be fair to say, wouldn't it, Tony? Uh, it is about a year. It seems like 10 years, but it seems uh, to be around 12, 13 months, yes. And, and you think about, you know, even before the pandemic, uh, <laughs> issues that we had around, you know, the King Street uh, streetcar. And uh, uh, you had a lot of people in dire straits, or, or at least they were saying they were in that way uh, along King Street in normal times. So uh, imagine now only being able to do takeout and delivery. Uh, James, how how helpful is it to be at least able to do takeout and delivery? Is that keeping some owners with their head above water? Well, it depends on the uh, on the format of your business. Uh We've found that people that were doing a lot of takeout before uh, have fared better than others. Um, but even in the best, uh, you know, most restaurants I talk to, it's between seven to twenty percent of the business they did before. So, you know, it's helpful. It pays a few bills, but uh, it definitely doesn't make up for uh, for what they've lost. Now, as part of this letter you wrote to the premier, James, uh, you've asked to dismiss the extra money that restaurants have to pay the LCBO for their liquor supply. A lot of people probably are not even aware that restaurant owners do pay a premium. Yeah, in most provinces, uh, we actually get a discount, and that's that's the nature of business. When you buy something uh, to resell it, you get a discount. Um, unfortunately, in Ontario, we pay a premium for it. Um, we're asking that uh, we had been asking in the budget and previously that uh, we get a discount. But for now, we think the easiest thing they can do is to get rid of that 6% tax that restaurants pay that no one else does. Yeah. Jane, if I can jump in, beverage yeah. alcohol pricing is a tool to support an industry that is suffering not only not only now, but a lifeline for the tough road ahead. And, and, and Ontario operates a 2% margin higher, sorry, lower in profit than any other province, lower than the Canadian average. And if we need this industry to be running after the pandemic and, and make it through, we need to start looking at some unfairness in expenses that, that are there. Beverage alcohol is on top of the list. One of our favorite things to do, uh, many Ontario residents, in, in the best of times before the pandemic, is to go out to a restaurant on a Friday or Saturday night, celebrate the week, the hard work that we've done, um, treat ourselves to a meal with somebody we love. So we all rely on restaurants in the good times. Uh, before I let you go, um, you know, what kind of message and and what can people do? What can your patrons do to help out restaurants during this very challenging time, James? Um, well, a lot of people are doing it. Do do more takeout if you can. Um, uh, buy buy gift certificates if you can. That shows that you're willing to support them when when everything's back. And you know, the, one of the small things that they can do is just give a, a positive word. Right, write it something on their website. You see them on the street, say hi, and uh, hope, wish them the best. That uh, Things like that make a lot of difference. Uh, people are now deciding, will I be able to continue? And, and they need to know that the community is behind them. Tony? Uh, I agree with uh, James' comments. Uh, restaurants, uh, any small business in the local market are, are need support. Need support from the locals. Need support from those that can visit uh, from anywhere. Uh, and, and, and every dollar helps. I, I think that's the way to look at this. Every dollar helps in this very, very, very tough times this industry is going through. We uh, wish you and your members all the best, and thanks for taking time out for Fight Back today.
Thank you, James. James Rylett is vice president of the Central Canada Division of Restaurants Canada. And Tony Alanis is president and CEO of the Ontario Restaurant Hotel and Motel Association. Jane for Libby here on Zoomer Radio's Fight Back. And coming up next, a three-point plan from Ontario's pharmacists to get more people in this province vaccinated. We will hear from them next. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Fight Back with Libby Snymer on Zoomer Radio with guest host Jane Brown. Libby is off for this week. Let me start this next segment by telling you that as a 55-year-old resident of this province, I received the AstraZeneca COVID vaccine along with my 58-year-old husband in a neighborhood pharmacy not far from where we live in Etobicoke on Easter Sunday. It was definitely a happy Easter. And by the way, so far, I've felt no side effects, really, other than a sore arm the morning after. This program for those 55-plus at a growing number of pharmacies and doctor's offices, is being seen as a success so far. So why not expand it? This is the thought behind the latest initiative from Ontario pharmacists who've come up with a three-point plan to expand the program. Joining us now on Fight Back, Justin Bates, CEO of the Ontario Pharmacists Association and longtime Zoomer media friend and pharmacist Dean Miller. Hello to both of you. Good morning. I guess good afternoon now. Good afternoon. It is. It is. It's lunchtime. Uh, Before we get into the three-point plan, let's talk about how the AstraZeneca vaccine rollout has been going, Justin. Well, it's been a tremendous success when you look at the phase one part of the rollout where we had over 325 stores. And we have now completed all of the administration of the doses that we received. Uh, In fact, we actually went over 100% because we were able to get an extra dose set of each of the vials. So I would say that uh, we mobilized very quickly. We demonstrated our capacity and throughput and how we can be part of the broader solution. And now it's time to build on that success. Well, now there were two big deliveries, right? There was the delivery of the doses that expired on April 2nd, and then there was the delivery for the whole country of 1.5 million doses from the United States, which obviously Ontario got a, a, a good chunk of. That's right. So we had short-dated supply for the two and a half weeks in the phase one. We have since expanded now. We've added another 360 pharmacies for phase two, and that uh, just happened over the weekend. So the uh, a portion of the amount of vaccine that came into Canada Uh, has been uh, distributed to the pharmacy wholesalers and some to primary care uh, offices as well. And uh, we're now in the process of administering those doses. And it has a different expiration uh, up from the U.S. And how long do you think it will take, um, based on the supply that you've received so far, to use all of this up in the province of Ontario? Well, here's the good problem that we have. We are seeing tremendous demand for this vaccine, and uh, many are already going through the initial allotment. So phase two stores, the 360 I referenced earlier, each received 200 doses. And uh, many of uh, the pharmacies have thousands of people on a wait list. And so we'll go through that stock real quick. We're still trying to get uh, line of sight into what that replenishment strategy will be beyond the 200 doses. Um, I know that province is looking at directing supply to certain hotspot regions as well. So that may play a factor into where we go next here. Dean, what is your experience so far as president and CEO of Whole Health Pharmacy Partners? Um, Yeah, Jane, you know, to concur with uh, what Justin's been saying, you know, the actual administration of the vaccine has been silky smooth. And, you know, I mean, pharmacists are well prepared because we've been doing influenza vaccine for years. So that part of it has been great. Um, as Justin mentioned, uh, you know, we had our initial allocation. We went through all of that, um, you know, rather quickly and, and uh, you know, uh, credit to the pharmacist to get, you know, that 11th dose out of the vial. So, uh, you know, we've, we've actually over-indexed on that. You know, the big problem now is, as, as Justin said, is, is uh, you know, we've moved into a phase two and we've you know, we've still got, you know, 
2,500 other pharmacies that are just kind of chomping at the bit to get going. So, so you know, that's kind of what I see as probably the primary issue right now. But, uh, you know, we're, uh, we're certainly at the ready. If you've received the AstraZeneca vaccine at a pharmacy or doctor's office or you're on a waiting list, uh, you're welcome to join the conversation. I had a great experience getting my shot on Sunday. How about you? 416-360-0740, toll-free 1-866-740-4740. You know, uh, Justin, when I tried to get appointments for my husband and myself, I, I used a strategy that I thought you know, nobody told me about this, but I just thought, well, if I call the independent pharmacies on the provincial list, maybe the pharmacist is more likely to pick up the phone and, you know, I can I can talk directly with the pharmacist and try to get an appointment. And that's exactly what happened. I phoned about four or five different independents in my neighborhood and they all called me back within a couple of days. Um, and obviously I went with the first available appointment at a little place called La Rose Pharmacy. Dr. Wu is the pharmacist there. Um, and just, just a tremendous experience and, and a, a really nice person. And, uh, you know, I, I don't know if people should use the same strategy. What, what do you think about that? Well, first it's, it's fantastic that you had a, seamless uh, experience and it was a positive one. I know many people have uh, used different mechanisms going through websites using booking engines. I think the majority of the pharmacies that are participating do have uh, options for booking to make it as um, easy and as simple as possible. Uh, So I think the key is find uh, your neighborhood pharmacy of your choice, um, regardless of, you know, what that format is. And Mm -hmm. Many have a trusted relationship with their pharmacist and want to go to uh, their local stores. And, and I think that uh, works very well. I should also mention, too, that even before they dropped the age to 55, I got on the waiting list uh, for Rexall. And they, in the last few days, also reached out to say that I was eligible to book an appointment. So um, certainly you can have the conversation directly, maybe with the independents. But uh, I was pleased to receive that email from Rexall. Uh, let's go to the phones. Uh, some of our Zoomer radio listeners want to get in on this conversation about the pharmacy vaccines. Daryl in Toronto, go ahead. You're up first. Hi, Daryl. Go ahead. You're on Zoomer hey, Radio. How you doing? Good. Um, thank you. A couple of weeks ago, I, I booked on the Shoppers Drug Mart thing, and uh, I'm I just I'm in like 66 years old, and they uh, all they sent back was that I would be I was in line kind of thing, and I would get a notice. Uh, it could be weeks or months. That was a couple of weeks ago. I currently have a appointment set up at one of the major clinics. Um, for the Moderna or the the Pfizer uh, next Tuesday. And my question is, with just one dose of it, what sort of protection are you getting and how long does it take for that to kick in? I know they said usually after the second one, it's a couple of weeks. But I'm just wondering what the state is with this. Dean, are you comfortable answering that? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, I... You know, the, the good thing about it is all, doesn't matter what vaccine you take. I mean, they've all been sort of, you know, you, we've heard all kinds of things in the media about, you know, it's 94% effective or, or, you know, as low as 70 and as high as almost 100. So, so the good thing is they're all very, uh, effective. Uh, to answer the question about time, it's usually about eight to 12 days, somewhere in there where you sort of get your full immune response. So any of those vaccines that you get, whether it be Pfizer, Moderna, uh, AstraZeneca, they're all, they're all good. They have some very high, what we call efficacy rates or effectiveness rates. Um, so they're all good. Um, you know, you can, you know, after about eight or 10 days, you can kind of put a big smile on your face and say, you know what? I'm pretty protected right now. Is that from the first dose? or you Yeah, from the first dose? dose. I mean, the second dose is kind of the icing on the cake, right? You know, it's just, you know, there's a lot of unknown about the vaccine. And, and you know, we're, we're going with a second dose strategy, which is typically, you know, 16 weeks down the road. But, uh, you know, that just, it's almost acts like a little bit of a booster to get you up into the, you know, even a higher rate. So, um but after the first dose, uh, you know, eight to 12 days later, you're, you're in pretty good shape. That is good the news. Other quick question was, is there any science or basis behind the waiting four months for the second shot? 
or are they just they it's funny they they talked about that this morning members of the national advisory committee on immunization justin they are standing by their recommendation for four months between shots yeah they're using the best available data science that is out there and they're trying to save lives and i think the the key driver to this is get as many people as as Dean just mentioned, uh, you know, the second shot is very much like a booster. So getting as many people the first dose is is critical, particularly in the early days. Um, but, uh, you know, when I look at the differences between, say, the viral vector vaccine, which is the AstraZeneca or an mRNA like Pfizer and Moderna, each has different parameters. And in fact, uh, up to 12 weeks, it's been shown that the AstraZeneca vaccine is actually stronger if you uh, wait longer. Um, you know, the 12 weeks is there their guidelines. So it does vary. And I know they're looking at all of the data on a regular basis to adjust uh, the guidelines accordingly. You can keep the phone calls coming for our pharmacist, Justin Bates, CEO of the Ontario Pharmacists Association, and Dean Miller, President and CEO, Whole Health Pharmacy Partners. Numbers to call are 416-360-0740, toll-free, 1-866-740-4740. Let's get to this three-point plan to accelerate the COVID-19 vaccine rollout in the province's pharmacies. Justin, do you want to take that? Absolutely. And and what really struck me over the weekend was reading about a pharmacist in uh, Nova Scotia, Cape Breton, that uh, actually bought a, a, an old ambulance and uh, fixed it up and started going into vulnerable neighbourhoods and vaccinating people. We did this for the flu season for the first time in Ontario just this past fall, where we took the vaccine to first responders, to remote communities, and it was outside of the pharmacy. And I think that is so critical given the fact that we know access to healthcare services is a challenge. We know that essential workers as part of our plan is also uh, an area where people are going into factories. They're potentially sick with symptoms or asymptomatic. So it's really important that we get essential workers, teachers and others uh, into the pharmacy or take it to them. And also for some of the reasons we've talked about today, the vaccine availability continues to be a challenge. Um, we believe that pharmacists should have access to all the vaccines, Pfizer, Moderna, AstraZeneca, and the future J&J vaccine when it arrives, because we want to give more access and choice. Mm-hmm. We want to make sure that we can get through our wait list. So those are our three main points uh, that we're advocating for, and we know we can get it done. Uh, Dean, would you like to add to that? I mean, at the moment, uh, to Justin's point there, the AstraZeneca can only be given to people 55 and over, yes? Yeah, that, that's right, Jane, 55 and over. And, that, you know, that's changed, I, I think, three times since, since you know, about a month ago when this uh, started with the vaccination process in, in pharmacy. But uh, Justin's right. I mean, uh, obviously, the essential health care worker piece is, is incredibly important. You know, I mean, the the popularity of that, getting your vaccine in a pharmacy, you know, has been proven over and over again with influenza. So people people like it. I mean, you know, Justin said earlier on about wait lists. You know, we, we've got wait lists of, of hundreds of people. And, uh, you know, I mean, one of the tips I was going to leave with everybody is to, you know, if you've got that regular pharmacy that you usually go to, like, give them a call because a lot of these pharmacists are keeping some of those critical appointments for their own uh, their own patients. So it's, uh, you know, all is not lost if you're just on a waiting list. Let's right. And that way. the caller who phoned before said that he had yet to receive an email from shoppers since pre-registering on the site. What should you do in that case if you're still waiting to hear? Dean? Well, you know, I, I don't think there's any guarantees right now, Jane, just because of the availability of the vaccine. I mean, you know, I'm a lot of people are using either one of two things. You know, they're either going down to their pharmacy or making a phone call to the pharmacy, or a lot of pharmacies are using, you know, online booking tools. And, and, you know, I would encourage everybody to do that. The ministry site is great. The COVID-19.ontario.ca that, you know, if you go on there, you can see all the pharmacies and whether they have, you know, a way to book it. So that, those are really good ways to do it. Um, But, you know, like I said, 
it'll be great when we can expand even more and have you know 32 3300 pharmacies all uh, vaccinating because uh, we'll really get things done then on that three point plan Justin have you received any kind of response uh, from the Ford government we have we're in collaborative discussions on a daily basis on how we can be a partner in rolling this out alongside all of our other healthcare colleagues i think it's important that we look at this from an equitable access standpoint coverage across all of the the province both in remote urban uh, and as well as some of the vulnerable neighborhoods and we can only do that to dean's point is if we can get all of the pharmacies on boarded and that's entirely dependent on supply so it makes perfect sense let's focus on where the outbreaks are and, and where the vulnerable populations are but we need that supply coming into pharmacies uh, in order to turn the switch on. Let's go back to the phones, 416-360-0740, toll-free, 1-866-740-4740. Rhonda in Scarborough, you have a question for our pharmacist? Yes, hi, good afternoon. I'm going through menopause with night sweats and um, and um, overheating in the daytime. I'm a little bit worried about getting my Moderna shot next week with this going on. Is it still safe when you're going through these changes? Dean, what are your thoughts on that? Um, well, you know, there has been that connection, not so much with the Moderna vaccine, but, you know, the, the some of the you know, the information coming out of Europe has talked about, you know, people that are on hor- hormone replacement therapy and, and you know, is it safe? And, uh, you know, the consensus is is you know, being examined right now by NASI to just come up with some determination of, you know, how it's, uh, you know, how those recommendations are going to look in Canada, because all we're doing is sort of looking at recommendations that have come out of Europe. Um, I'm not taking it, any medication or anything. I'm just, oh, okay. Yeah, well, just if, that, if that's not the case, then, you know, the, you've got a, a very high degree of safety with with any of the vaccines, and I wouldn't I wouldn't hesitate one little bit about uh, going in for for and get your Moderna vaccine. Okay, because at nighttime you're so hot, it's unbelievable. <laughs> yeah, no, no, you know, as 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 you've heard before, if it's available to you, get it. Right. Okay, thank you. Thanks, Always the risk. Thank, thank you. you. I appreciate you talking. Thank you. Oh, my pleasure. Now, Dean, in terms of. Um, you're mentioning about HRT. Was is it specifically? Is there a link to one one vaccine over another that you should be concerned about or talk to your doctor about first? Well, you know, it's a great question, Jana. We could probably talk for an hour on it, but but we won't. Um, and uh, you know, the one that has been sort of attributed to the issues uh, has been the AstraZeneca vaccine. So, you know, there's a lot of vaccine hesitancy, you know, amongst people out there, uh, as we speak, but, you know, the bottom line is, is right now, uh, we don't have a Canadian recommendation in place. And, and, you know, I feel very strongly as a healthcare professional that to recommend any of the vaccines oh, for, sure. for anybody. Yeah. Yeah, well, the sure. AstraZeneca, um, Bob Comsick had in his news there at noon, the European Medicines Agency has come out with their investigation saying that the link with blood clots and AstraZeneca is so minuscule uh, that uh, they are recommending the AstraZeneca vaccine for adults of all ages. So I'm wondering, Justin, if that's going to uh, change the recommendation by Health Canada for the AZ shot in Ontario and across the country. It very might. Uh, it might very well. And uh, I think I know NASI looks at those recommendations and all of the data in making their recommendations. Um, we saw it uh, with the over 65 when it was first introduced into Canada. And once the data supported uh, lifting that restriction, we opened it up uh, at that time to 60 and over. So I think the, the the key here is understanding what the benefits are versus the risks. And as you said, it's below, well below 1% risk. Um, you have a much greater risk by a magnitude of uh, 100 to get COVID and uh, before you would get any issue with any of the uh, vaccines. They all have 100% efficacy to preventing serious illness and death. Um, and even the efficacy on getting any symptoms is changing with real-world evidence and looking at various studies. And I just read about AstraZeneca might be even more effective on some of the severe strains uh, and variants that we're seeing because of when it was tested uh, and so forth. So the data is very fluid, uh, and and that's why we need to be transparent about what we're seeing and uh, incorporate the guidelines as things evolve. 
Let's go to Maya in Mississauga. Maya, you have a question or a comment? Hi, Maya. Are you still there? I know you've been waiting a while. No, I'm here. Okay, go ahead. Um, my husband uh, got a double lung transplant six years ago, and uh, he did receive his first Pfizer vaccine on March 13th. And we got an email from the Toronto General Hospital saying that he should get his third, uh, second dose of vaccine on uh, three weeks after he's had his first shot, which would have been Good Friday. And <clears throat> we haven't heard back from anybody. I've tried uh, contacting people, and we're just concerned because now it's going on to his four weeks. Is there? Uh, should we be concerned, or should we just wait until we hear from somebody? Uh, Justin, why would uh, Maya have been given that advice? Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, we know that the guidance has been to book the appointment up to 16 weeks now because of the change in approach from NACI, uh, the National Council. So I, I think it's 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 fine uh, in a sense that um, you don't have it now. Uh, the original guidelines was 21 days. You know, days. I forgot to tell you, I'm sorry, that before my husband could get his first dose, he was, he, I put him in a study down at Toronto General Hospital because they needed, we needed to determine the efficacy of COVID vaccine ah. in transplant patients. Interesting. Mm-hmm. And so I got that email because of that. So they obviously had seen something in the blood work to do with antibodies. Yeah, no, that is very interesting. Not, not sure I can comment on that specifically, yeah. but um, yeah, maybe Dean. Uh, Jane, I'm, I might just add from a logistics perspective, I was supposed to get my second uh, dose on Good Friday as well. And, and um, you know, that when I got my first dose, as a pharmacist, the recommendation on 16 weeks wasn't in place yet. So I'm just wondering if the, you know, what's existing here is, is maybe, cause I went all the way down to McKenzie health and was told that my second dose was delayed. So I didn't receive an email or anything, but, but I'm just wondering if this might be more of a logistics thing. Mm-hmm. However, you know, uh, with that, uh, you know, the double lung transplant, I mean, it does obviously put, a person into a kind of a different category. You're, you know, you're dealing with chronic disease here or, you know, a, a, a pre-existing condition. So it might be best to actually in this case, just, you know, contact um, um, your, your, your family physician or who, who's ever treating your husband and just maybe ask that question. Um, I wouldn't be a bit surprised if you might be on a shorter time period than, than the 16 weeks, but I don't know that for sure. But I'm just kind of recounting what happened with me on Good Friday. Well, we need to uh, get to our final thoughts here. Dr. Lawrence Lowe is joining us after the break. And if you're on the line, hang on, because uh, he may be able to address your concerns or questions as well. Um, but before we say goodbye to our pharmacist, Justin Bates, uh, CEO of the Ontario Pharmacists Association, uh, any final thoughts until next time we speak? Well, get the vaccine that you're offered first. Uh, all four uh, and three that are in the market right now are safe and effective. And uh, we are looking forward to building out um, capacity and adding more pharmacies and more options and hopefully more vaccines so that we can get to the essential workers, priority populations, and eventually get to a place where we can open this up for anyone in the general population. We know that herd immunity will only happen if we can get the more people access to the vaccine. And Dean? Yeah, everything that Justin just said and, and adding to that, you know, pharmacies have been very busy places, um, in the last couple of weeks. Don't give up. Um, a lot of, a lot of, uh, pharmacies have wait lists for their own patients. So either head down to your pharmacy, give them a call or check their website. And that's probably the best way to, uh, Uh, find out whether uh, you can get in and get that vaccine that Justin talked about. Well, as you know, I'm a a big fan of uh, the Ontario pharmacists, so I thank you both for taking the time today. Thank you. Thank you. Dean Miller is president and CEO of Whole Health Pharmacy Partners, Justin Bates, CEO of the Ontario Pharmacists Association. Still to come, Jane for Libby. 
He's been lauded for taking a brave stance and closing schools in Peel Region after the long Easter weekend. Dr. Lawrence Lowe is Peel Region's Medical Officer of Health, and he joins us next with his thoughts on where we are now in the fight against COVID and where we need to go to bring down the increasing numbers. That's next. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Fight Back with Libby Snymer on Zoomer Radio with guest host Jane Brown. Libby is off for the week. I am pleased to welcome back to Fight Back Peel Region's Medical Officer of Health, Dr. Lawrence Lowe, to talk about what's been happening in Brampton, Mississauga, and Caledon, and what he thinks needs to be done to get the COVID-19 virus and its variants under control. Dr. Lowe, great to have you here with us again. Thanks for having me back. You made a declaration this morning in the race between the variants and the vaccine. Could you repeat that? It's not the best news. Yeah, unfortunately, I think it's pretty clear. And to the extent that uh, Peel Region uh, really held off uh, the start of a third wave uh, far better than some of the other uh, regions around Ontario that you know went into looser restrictions and then had to use the emergency break, uh, we weren't seeing the third wave really take off until just in the last couple of weeks, unfortunately. And uh, it's very clear now as our hospitals increasingly get overwhelmed uh, and our cases soar to levels that uh, uh, you know we haven't seen since the height of the second wave that the variants have won uh, this round of the um, of the race, unfortunately. What do you mean by this round? So, so all that to say uh, that the you know the race itself is not lost, but essentially uh, at this point in time, we aren't going to be able to vaccinate our way out of this wave quickly enough, which is why. Uh, stricter public health measures are, are absolutely needed at this point in time. And there, there is a bit of a precedent for this. In many other countries that received vaccine before us, uh, they also saw a third wave arrive, uh, you know, around the same time that they were trying to get their vaccine programs up and running in Israel and the UK. And ultimately, the same playbook could apply here. It needs to be, uh, you know, close, take those measures, you know, restrict contact interactions just the one last time, ramp up the vaccine, and then exit. That's essentially what they've done. You know, just to backtrack here a little bit, you made the comment that uh, it was only a couple of weeks ago that you saw that the the vir- um, variants of the virus were starting to take off. Is that why uh, you allowed uh, or at least endorsed the idea of opening the patios in Peel region uh, and only to have to have them closed 10 or 11 days later? Yeah, absolutely. And that was because overall, we are looking at, you know, a situation here where ultimately being outdoors is better than indoors. So I think when we were, uh, when we were trying to figure out the best way to balance people's mental health and well-being uh, with the measures that were in place, uh, we did recommend things like outdoor activities, patios, uh, you know, um, and outdoor uh, fitness classes with an aim to really focus on, uh, you know, people sticking with their immediate households, but being able to spend some time outside. Mm-hmm. Um, I think even with any stay-at-home order that may be coming, whatever the province announces today, the key message is, you know, try to spend some time outside, especially with the weather getting better. And if you do have to meet anybody for any essential purpose or whatever, uh, make sure that you are masked, distance and you are, uh, you know, preferring the outdoors to the indoors. Tell us uh, what led you to using Section 22 and closing the schools after the long weekend. So we know that measures keep schools safe, um, but the reality is, is that at a certain threshold, those measures become increasingly less effective. Uh, we are now seeing cases at the same level that we saw uh, at the beginning of the second wave. And while the measures protect the schools, it doesn't prevent exposures and introductions. And mm-hmm. so we were starting to see so many introductions, so many exposures, uh, dismissing classes. It became a bit of a game of a whack-a-mole around which schools were closed or which classes were going home. And increasingly difficult for uh, our teams and our school board partners to keep up. Uh, so uh, it was uh, certainly for that reason that we decided to try to take a two-week cooling-off period, making the most of this short week between the Easter break and spring break to really uh, reset and hopefully start to gradually uh, return to in-person learning uh, with uh, you know, ensuring the continued safety in schools. 
Now, obviously, and we've known for a few days now that you, uh, along with Dr. Davila and Ottawa's medical officer of health, uh, are not in favor of what's happening now in terms of this province-wide lockdown. Uh, non-essential retail is still open, some non-essential businesses. Um, you're looking for a full stay-at-home order. What should that look like? Uh, and, it, and it appears that Premier Ford is going to invoke some sort of stay-at-home order today. I think what it looks like is it needs to look a little bit like what we had in the first wave. We know that the variants are incredibly contagious. Um, and it just really, again, it, it, this is sort of like the last uh, hurrah, if you will, of, you know, we close, we vaccinate, we exit. That's essentially the, game, the the playbook that other places that got vaccine before us used. And, you know, I think to the extent that we can just really take this seriously and understand the longer we the longer we let this thing continue to transmit and circulate, uh, you know, the more things that stay open and the more contact interactions that are happening, the longer it's going to take to vaccinate our way out of this as we're coping with uh, with these levels. You know, close, uh, vaccinate, exit. I think that's what we're really trying to aim for at this point. So what should be closed or at least further restricted? Mayor Tory was saying he hoped to hear something about production facilities that, yes, they need to carry on, but maybe staff could be reduced, output could be reduced, so there aren't as many people in these facilities. Absolutely. I agree with that. I, I think in our letter, we made very clear, revisit the overall essential businesses and services list, uh, determine which of those can be removed, even for a short period of time, like a four to six week sort of thing, uh, you know, provide support to those businesses and industries that would be newly impacted and the employees, especially uh, who need the supports to stay home for anything else that remains open, reduce capacity. And do we really need to be firing on three shifts, maybe two shifts, but it's re- really revisiting this. And to the extent possible, trying to just limit contact and interactions outside our homes just for a little while longer while our vaccines catch up and hopefully we win the next round of the race. Let's talk about the vaccines uh, and um, what certainly what you can control and uh, advocate for in Peel region. Uh, I'm sure you were pleased to hear about the unanimous approval at Mississauga Council this morning for mobile vaccinations, taking vaccines to large factories, warehouses, logistics companies, packaging facilities, as well as teachers and other frontline workers, all age groups, irrespective of age levels being booked. I'm just reading that uh, post off of... uh, Councillor Carolyn Parrish's Twitter feed. Yeah, I think it it's, it really speaks to uh, just the ongoing approach. I think to the extent that we still see the vast majority of our population uh, within the age bracket and continuing to uh, go through our mass vaccination clinics, which have uh, the highest throughput, which have uh, you know the most efficient means to deliver uh, um, individuals, we do know that mobile clinics would be a useful adjunct uh, you know to those efforts. And uh, and so I think uh, we we continue to push people to our mass vaccination clinics together with our hospital partners. We're doing over 10,000 a day, aiming for probably 20 or even 30,000 a day by the end of the month. At the end of the month, um, we do know that there are opportunities for more mobile um, uh, modalities in some harder hit or higher risk workplaces, and we are having conversations with the Ministry of Health around how that looks and how that would get deployed. How much can you control, Dr. Lowe, in terms of uh, the vaccination rollout specific to Peel Region? You know, I think uh, it, to the extent that uh, the province sets the prioritization framework and then each of the health units are uh, left to interpret it and then to move through it with uh, with the uh, uh, context that they, um, with their specific community context, uh, there is a bit of autonomy and flexibility there. Uh, but I, like I said, I think the thing that I really want to stress is that the simplest, easiest way uh, for us to continue going through this is to move down the age bands and push people to our mass clinics, uh, but really move down the age bands faster. Um, because the reality is uh, we now have supply coming in. We now have capacity that's online. Um, you know, it's it's quick. It's efficient. It's our, it's our fastest way out of this. And then certainly the mobile and all the other adjuncts can support in high-risk and hotspot situations. And in terms of a timeline, uh, at the moment, you are offering the vaccine to people as young as 50 in hot zone postal codes. When can people younger than that expect to be offered a vaccine? In York Region, they started in some areas today for 45 plus. Absolutely. I mean, we are going to uh, the whole region uh, being 50 plus uh, as of Friday uh, with anticipated changes uh, to come to the booking system. And that'll be both at our hospital clinics as well as our community clinics. Um, you know, I, I am hopeful uh, that we will continue to stay the course and it may be 40 as much as soon as, you know, uh, in the next few weeks, uh, next couple weeks. 
uh, and then 30 probably by the end of the month or into May, just early May. So I, I think it's, uh, it's a matter of really just continuing to keep up with the demand, driving people to those mass vaccination clinics, and then mobile as a, as a supporting, uh, mobile and primary care and pharmacy as a supporting piece throughout our hotspot region. I promised our Zoomer radio listeners who've been hanging on to, to make a comment or ask a question, we would get to them. So let's go to Nancy in Whitby. Um, we're running out of time, Nancy, but I'll take your call. What did you want to offer here or ask? Uh, yes, um, I was offered the AstraZeneca vac- vaccination. I'm 56. And the same day I go to a walk-in clinic and they say my liver's enlarged and I have a high platelet count. So should I still be feeling comfortable to take AstraZeneca? Dr. Lowe, do you feel comfortable answering that? Uh, I think I'd have to look at your whole file. So unfortunately, I won't be able to answer that question. But uh, definitely follow the advice of your primary care provider who will be able to look at your whole situation. Right. That is always the best advice to, or to go to your local pharmacist as well. Sometimes the pharmacist can answer, uh, can answer these questions. Let's talk about just before I, I want to use up all the time I have with you. Um, Peel region has 80%. So I'm told of GTA warehousing. How, what is happening right now in terms of the spread? And, and you say the variants right now in this round are winning the race against the vaccines. What is the strategy with these people, these essential workers? They are going to work. A lot of them are under 50. Uh, they are putting themselves at risk. What is the overall strategy here? Well, again, the overall strategy is to get through the age bands as quickly as we can, while also using mobile as a, as a useful adjunct, particularly for sectors and that may be at higher risk. Uh, we have to remember that mobile is, uh, you know, low, uh, low throughput, um, and high, uh, resourcing because you have to set it up. You go there, set it up, and, uh, you're really only getting, you know, a few people here and there at uh, a number of people there at the, at the workplace. Whereas, you know, our mass vaccination clinics, as I mentioned, across the system, 10,000 a day. Um, so, you know, I think it's, um, in, in terms of that vaccination, there's there, but until we get there, we're not going to vaccinate our way out of the third wave. And so we really do need, uh, we, we still need paid sick days because people are still showing up at work sick. People mm-hmm. still aren't able to take time off to get a test or to self-isolate. Um, we still need, uh, you know, the ongoing workplace inspections that our Ministry of Labour partners are doing to make sure that people are adhering to precautions, um, you know, certainly rapid testing. And as was mentioned, you know, really revisiting the essential business list, providing support for businesses that could close right now, and then also just ensuring that other businesses really look at uh, reducing capacity and, and contact. Dr. Lowe, you mentioned at the beginning of our chat uh, about looking at uh, what other countries have done that you in some ways are following the lead. You mentioned Israel there. Do you have any success stories of uh, countries that we are following in terms of now the stay at home and the vaccinating at the same time? The the uh, experience of Great Britain is very uh, instructive. I think uh, essentially the British uh, received uh, produced a ton of vaccine. Uh, they're now I think at thirty or forty percent coverage, um, and then essentially their prime minister announced a a one way route uh, to uh, to exit from measures. Uh, we can do that too here, um, and so I know people don't like the idea of another uh, another stay at home. But if we get this right, if we manage to reduce our contact interactions. Uh, regardless of what gets announced, if we continue to all do our part in, you know, staying at home as much as possible, limiting our, you know, our uh, in-person uh, contacts to the most essential, uh, and obviously outdoors with distancing and masking, and then allow our vaccines to finally take flight, um, you know, things could look very much rosier, uh, probably through May and into June. All right, that's a good place to leave it. Some optimism. Thank you, Dr. Lowe. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me. Dr. Lawrence Lowe is Peel Region's Medical Officer of Health. Jane for Libby, I'll be back with you tomorrow. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.